0: Hey there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of t for c Are you interested in breaking into human resources? Then this is the episode for you because my next guest, has 17 years experience working in a whole bunch of different capacities in this dynamic field. But before I introduce you to Cyrilda Summers-McGee, the founder and CEO of Workplace Change, which is a full-service human resources firm which Cyrilda launched in 2016 to disrupt the status quo within the workplace, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal, that's T4C's weekly newsletter, and it comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive peek into the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring all that week. And it is so easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number 4 coffeeorg and it's all smushed together, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Cyrilda Summers-McGee, the founder and principal of Workplace Change. It's a human resources consultancy created to guide, advise, and encourage the business world through internal as well as external growth and transition while incorporating diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, into HR systems. Cyrilda has been an HR DEI innovator for over 15 years, honing her ability to identify challenges and opportunities while teaching the masses how to be better leaders. She's inspired thousands to create, embrace, and mobilize lasting organizational change. Most recently, Serolda was the chief human resources officer for the city of Portland in Oregon, one of the fastest growing cities in the US, where she led a bureau of 84 professionals who supported a workforce of more than 10,000 people. She's also held leadership roles within the Portland Development Commission, the Oregon Department of Education, Kaiser Permanente Partners in Diversity, and Reed College. In 2019, Sarola positioned the City of Portland's Bureau of Human Resources to win the Western Region International's Public Management Association for Human Resources Agency Award for Excellence. And before that, in 2018, she received Portland Business Journal's Woman or Women of Influence Award. And then the next year, in 2019, she received Portland Business Journal's HR Excellence Award. Sorilda believes in the power of an equitable and inclusive work environment. She knows that to be a healthy company, there must be a healthy culture. Cyrilda, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am, Andrea. I am. I was going to say I used to work for a wonderful nonprofit headquartered in Portland called Mercy Corps, Mm -hmm. which, as you know, Portland is the home of Stumptown Coffee. (laughs) It is. Are you a fan of Stumptown or do you have
1: another favorite? You know, I actually don't drink caffeine at all. I am naturally caffeinated from the time I wake up in the morning until I go to bed at night and I sleep eight straight hours. I don't even get up to go to the bathroom. (laughs) That's how dedicated to sleep I am. So I am naturally caffeinated. Anytime you ask me, Andrea. Oh, so what is your secret to being naturally caffeinated? I have no secret. I've always been very high energy. I tried to utilize coffee and it just made me manic. (laughs) Okay, I got it. (laughs) I got it. Well, I love that. Naturally caffeinated.
0: I want to let our listeners know, Serolda, that we are doing this interview on June 18th, which is the eve of Juneteenth, marks the freedom of enslaved Black people. What does that day mean
1: to you this year? Well, Juneteenth doesn't really mark the freedom of Black people. It marks the date that Black people found out they were free. The legislation had already passed. Black people just didn't find out for seven months. And so the day has always brought to me an opportunity for great reflection on systems and policies and how systems and policies mean nothing if people don't actually live into them. And so that's what Juneteenth represents for me. The fact that you can have systems and policies, but how people behave and the decisions they make to treat you well or not treat you well are completely separate from the systems that exist. It should bring everyone to an opportunity to reflect on how they either live into policies, values, you know, mission statements or how they don't. Hmm. I know you're a mom. You
0: have two little kids.
1: How are you and your husband and your
0: children doing? Right. First, we had COVID and then... A string of very public murders of African-Americans by law enforcement officers.
1: So my family, so I have a a black husband. I have two dark-skinned black children. I'm a dark-skinned black woman myself. Uh, My husband's a dark-skinned black man. So we have always lived with the threat of over-policing and inequities and unfairnesses that we just had to power through, right? We had to bootstrap it through and figure a way out. With no excuses because no one was listening to our cries anyway. So what's happening right now with the civil unrest in response to the killings of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd and and so many countless others is it's heavy, but it's also An opportunity for real, meaningful change to occur, so that perhaps my children, my ten-year-old son and five-year-old daughter, could have an opportunity in a future that is different than mine, because mine was challenging. I've had success, great success. I'm blessed abundantly, but it has been hard-fought and uh, going against the grain, and you know, going against all odds. And so I feel incredibly hopeful. And quite frankly, I don't know that we'd be here if it weren't for COVID. Now I'm, you know, not on board with COVID. Black folks, I know at least 10 Black people who have contracted COVID, three of whom have passed away from COVID. So it definitely has had a disparate impact on Black folks. has been you know, reported everywhere. But without COVID, I don't think we'd have this civil unrest. And without this civil unrest, I think it would be business as usual, which business as usual has never really fared all that well for Black folks. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to get more into
0: what you are doing now as the founder of Workplace Change and how you built your hard-fought career as a human resources professional in our main Time for Coffee interview. So for our listeners, please check out show notes to see if her main Time for Coffee interview is out in the ether yet. But for right now, for the moment, I want to tap into your expertise, Cyrilda, as someone in the field of human resources and diversity, equity, and inclusion to help guide our young listeners, especially our young African-American listeners who want to break into this field. So first, Espresso Shot,
1: mm-hmm. what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to break into this field? Number one, internships are great opportunities to really learn if you want to be in human resources because human resources is not for everyone. But in addition to that, analyst roles, so as you graduate from college or you, you know, just kind of cut your teeth and being really good with numbers, whether you have a bachelor's degree or not, you can get analyst roles inside human resources where you're looking at people data and basically getting an understanding of the story behind the data, right? So from recruitment data to compensation data, you can identify it, see trends that exist, and then explain why those trends exist. It's a pretty beautiful role to have. And it's one of the lesser political roles inside the organization, in addition, we also have opportunities in recruitment. So you can get it started, get started in recruitment, which is not like in the epicenter of human resources, but it does give you an opportunity to like pipe in talent, get an understanding of compensation models, et cetera. So those are the three areas that I definitely think that younger professionals should focus and set their sights on getting access into HR through those outlets.
0: Okay, fair enough. I want to pick up on something you said. You said It is not for everyone. Who is it not for? Like, what would you say are the interests, the attributes that you would say somebody should not be looking in this field?
1: Well... HR, the like traditional HR is employee relations and labor relations, right? So you're dealing with people challenges and opportunities. You're dealing with investigations, which are negative. This hard conversations. You're dealing with performance improvement plans. You're dealing with coaching managers on what to say and what not to say and de-escalating conflict. Like you step into the middle of conflict and you create peace and calm. And you oftentimes are the umpire, right? You're the person who's calling who's going to be the winner, who's going to be the loser. If you don't want to Put in those kinds of positions. HR is not for you, and a lot of people think HR is just about being nice and warm to people. Yeah, no, right? Like you need to be a people person in that you see people's humanity, and you can be patient, and you can extend grace when it's appropriate, and and be patient. But HR is hard conversations. It's difficult conversations, and people pleasers and people persons they tend to not want to have those kinds of conversations about you didn't get the job, you didn't get the promotion, and this is what it's going to take maybe to move forward, but you can't avoid it. You have to step into the fray. If that's not what you want to do, then HR is not where you should be. Okay. Well, you see, I would never make
0: it in that field because I do not want to have those hard conversations. So you mentioned empathy in effect. What is another useful soft skill and hard skill that you look for, Cyril, in the young people that you hire?
1: Well, the skills that I look for are people who are willing to learn. I think any executive who is hiring burgeoning talent is generally looking for someone who is willing to roll up their sleeves and learn and be smart and be quick, right? Like the the soft skill information is like, can you work in a group? Can you work on a team? These are things that you tend to learn in most liberal arts colleges where you like went and took in-person classes. Can you fall back and allow someone else to run point, right? Can you not be competitive and combative even within your own team? These are things you have to learn as you're evolving. I have two children now, one's 10, one's five. And they are middle class. Some may argue upper middle class. I see them doing, like, not, not being conditioned to share right? Because they have their own stuff all the time. They need to go to college and learn how to share. They need to go to college and learn how to work in a group. They need to go to college and learn the importance and the value of having different voices at the table. And it can't always be you all the time. And your parents can't coach you in that. You have to just go and learn and be uncomfortable and have little spats when you don't have everything on the line to lose. So that's what I would say. Like the soft skills are just basically learning how to work with others and learning, learning yourself. Mm who are you? What triggers you? What sets you off? You know, like you have to learn that stuff before you need a check in order to pay your rent. (laughs) And in college is when you have the grace to do that and the mentors um, and coaches to do that and learn.
0: And what about a hard skill? You mentioned, I guess, basically like data, data science or having some kind of background in data, but that may not be what you look for in the young people that you hire.
1: No, for people who do have an analytical background and who can write. You can't get into HR if you can't write because 95% of what everybody's doing is writing to somebody, whether it's you know a performance plan or whether it's instruction and in direction or whether it's a denial letter or whether it's a promotional letter, like you're writing all the time. And if you have not mastered how to just be a really sound, clear, concise writer of information, no matter what role you try to get into in human resources, you won't make it. Data is incredibly helpful, but it's not the most important function across all different or skill set across all different human resources functions. And so analysts need to be able to process data. If you want to get into an executive role, you have to be able to understand the books, understand, you know, the most expensive asset of most companies is this workforce, right? And how do you maximize that workforce, where cuts are going to happen, how to project, how to forecast across teams. So being good with data is always valuable. And it is something that is good to have no matter what, but it's not necessarily a requirement immediately. We hire English students, people with English degrees. We hire behavioral scientists and psychologists because these are people who understand the human experience and can process and talk to people fairly well. And again, have difficult and hard conversations that don't turn explosive. Um, super so important. Things.
0: Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on No, that. no,
1: you're fine. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Sorinda, what about someone's major? I know you studied biology. (laughs) Is it a deciding factor to get into your profession? Does it matter what your major is?
1: It doesn't matter as much what your major is. So again, you know, I became a biologist first and then a teacher second, which is always just a bad design. They should get you in the classroom early so you can figure out if you like kids or not. And so I became a biologist and I didn't want to be a lab rat. And then, you know, I went into education because I wanted to help people. But then I got into my career and I moved up the ladder in student services, working for Michigan State University and Ball State University and community colleges and Reed College here in the Pacific Northwest. But as I was evolving in my career, I identified that HR played such a huge role. I didn't even know what HR was until my mom told me right? I had some conflict in the workplace and she says, you need to go to HR. And I'm like, what is HR? Like, don't they just do payroll? And she told me <laughs> what their job was, which was to help solve conflicts in the workplace between human beings, employees and managers, whatever. And I went to HR. I had a really good experience, but I was talking to friends who were having traumatic experiences with human resources. And I just got more curious about like what's happening back there, right? Like how is this sausage made? How do they determine who gets promoted and who gets fired and Who gets disciplined and how much people are going to get made and which disciplines get paid, how much money and other ones get paid less money or more money or, you know, like all the rules that they're always citing. Who writes those rules? Like, where is this stuff coming from? And so I was just nosy is what I tell people. Like I got into HR because I was incredibly nosy and I wanted to know how decisions were being made. And they wouldn't tell me because HR is a vault. So you can never really tell people what happened. All you can tell people is a decision was made and now there's a consequence or there's a promotion and something to celebrate. So what I tell folks is you don't have to have a degree in human resources, but you do have to have a degree that has trained you on how to be really good at the infrastructural, like educational components. So reading for comprehension, being able to write. I cannot articulate that enough. And so many people just are not really well-trained writers, and then how to analyze information. And that's why I like liberal arts colleges, right? Because you become a really well-rounded thinker. HR is about being a good thinker. Excellent. Well, I'm going to push
0: back on what you said about being nosy, because I actually think that's just curiosity. You're just a curious person. This is true. All right. What about a grad school degree in order to succeed in your field? I know you've got A master's of education from Ball State University, and you got your MBA from Willamette University. If so, what do you think are the most useful ones to have?
1: In HR, I would say law degrees and MBAs, without a doubt, because we play with the law, employment law all day, and employment laws are constantly changing. And so if you already have a JD, then you can reduce your billable hours, your billable expenses for attorney fees and consultation of making sure you're compliant with state and federal law. So a law degree is definitely an incredibly valuable graduate degree to achieve. And and then an MBA like you need to understand the books. If you want to be able to ascend through HR, do you always want to be an individual contributor and a transactional professional, or do you want to lead? And you can't lead the most expensive asset, the most expensive function of most companies, which is their workforce. You can't lead if you don't understand the balance sheet and you don't understand the revenue, the portfolio of business and how revenue is generated and the expenses that are going out and the profit margins. And, you know, like juxtapose that with the goals and how to get the marketing team to be aligned with their, because you know, most marketing teams are, unless it's a marketing firm, the marketing team is an expense, right? It's not a revenue generating function inside a company unless it is a marketing company. Sure. So you have to understand like how much staffing do you need in order to balance out the books? All of these things come into play as an HR executive. And so that's why I tell people you can have a JD, you understand the law, or you can understand the books, right? Or you can have an MBA and a JD, and then shh, you're just the king of the world, right? And um, and, <laughs> and broke, <laughs> and broke. But you know what? You can get those three hundred and fifty thousand dollar, four hundred, you know, five hundred thousand dollar base before bonus jobs. I recruit for those jobs and they're saying they want people with MBAs or JDs or an MBA and a JD in order for you to, and plus 20 years experience, but in order for you to be able to get those very sought after competitively competed for roles. So Roto, what kind
0: of life experiences, so those experiences that we have outside the classroom, do you think are most useful for someone who's
1: starting out in human resources? Oh man all of your life experiences, you need to be able to call to them, right? So I grew up in a very low income environment in Michigan during a crack epidemic of America where crack was disproportionately represented in the black community. And it was an all black community where I grew up. And I used to think that that was a liability for seeking executive level. I was always very ambitious and I always wanted to get to the top. And I'm like, the thing that's going to stop me from getting to the top is my history, my journey, my bootstrap, blue collar, impoverished, and at times existence and life journey. But what I have learned over time is that that has been the secret sauce of my success in human resources. And that is I get people. I get the average person's journey and the upper middle class person's journey and the impoverished person's journey. And I I get the single mom who's just trying to make a way and, and have balance for her babies. And I get the single dad and I get the convict who trying to get a new lease on life and has a history that's following him around. I get those things. It's really important for people who are human resources professionals to get those life experiences so that you can see a person's humanity and not allow your biases about people to run rampant and wreak havoc on other people's lives. And so what I tell folks is tap into your Valley Girl experience so that you can understand where Valley Girl is coming from, right? Tap into your working in a factory or foundry experience because those things matter and are valuable in our discipline of human resources.
0: I love that. And actually, we're going to get into this in the main interview, but I read in your bio that while you were in high school, was it Wendy's that you were working at? Taco Bell. Taco Bell. That you were working at Taco Bell, and it was while you were doing your job at Taco Bell that you became interested in human resources. Well, I mean, most young people or a lot of young people, especially those who are not able to get the fancier internships, are working in some kind of fast food chain. Absolutely. Right? And talk about getting great experience for dealing with people. Uh, in every way. <laughs> <laughs> Cyrilda, I can feel the passion. Coming through the airways here. What is the best part for you of being in this profession?
1: Oh man, I love people, right? Now, people really frustrate me sometimes, let's be clear. And I'm not the most touchy feely person on the planet Earth. You can ask my children, that's just not my jam. It's like toughen up, buttercup, let's keep it moving. But I love the uniqueness of every individual's experience and how they process life and how they process information. And I respect it more so than anything. I respect their journey and their perspective. Now, sometimes their behavior has to be corrected and checked, but that doesn't mean I don't respect your perspective. It's just you can't act like that in here. And and that's what gets me jazzed up every day is to really be able to hear from people what their hopes and their dreams are, whether they're CEOs or really ambitious folks going for jobs, entry level to upper executive level. And I get to hear their traumas and the things that have happened in the workplace that are difficult, and I can help coach them out of it, or I can help just hold people accountable to never let it happen again. I love the people part of this job. And that is what gets me excited every day.
0: Well, I'm telling you right now, as a former journalist, as somebody who spent 20 years in that field, you would have made a great journalist too. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So Cyrilda, what is the part of your current job as the founder and CEO of Workplace Change that sucks the most? Oh, man.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, there are parts of my job that suck a lot. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm a founder and I'm an entrepreneur, right? And so that means that although I get to do the discipline I love, and that's the part of the job that I love, I have to do a lot of operational stuff as well. And a lot of sales. I like sales because I like people and I like talking about my work, but what I don't like is crafting proposals. Oh my gosh, I've got 34 proposals that I've got to get out next week. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to wait until the last possible second to do them because (laughs) I don't want to do it. (laughs) I don't want to do it. But you know, when you're a CEO, nobody else is going to do it, but you, and so there are definitely some things that some some of the operational tasky things that have to get done in order to make payroll, in order to get the staff moving forward, but they're not always fun. I didn't become a small business owner to do operations work. I became a small business owner to be able to do human resources work the way I know it should be done. And sometimes the operations CEO-ish stuff gets in the way of that. Yeah, And I think it's important
0: to flag that to our listeners because- even when you are a successful small business owner, as Cyrilda is, you're still dealing with bullshit that you don't want to be dealing with and with admin and with all kinds of stuff that are big headaches. And so if you think that that's like, I don't know, like a easy path, <laughs> think again. It is probably even harder than the nine to five that you would have somewhere. I mean, a lot harder than the nine to five that you would have somewhere else.
1: Oh, in every way. You know, at the nine to five, especially in the really big organizations that I worked for, you've got once you become a CEO inside those organizations, most of your work is political. Most of your work is having conversations and kind of just like advocating for your teams. But you don't have to do a great deal of the HR work, which is what I missed. Or you don't have to do a great deal of the marketing work or whatever your industry, your discipline is. And so you have a whole lot of people who do that for you. And so, and including the operations part. So it's definitely a, a lot harder. No vacations, no downtime. I had a vacation last week and my vacation included me saying, I'm only going to work three hours a day on work work during this vacation. Like the most important things I'm going to do in three hours a day and then I'm not going to do anything else. That's as close to a vacation I've, I've gotten since I started my company. But it's also mine. Nobody can take it from me. Nobody can get me out from it. It's my company. And that level of safety and security means the world to me. The market determines my value. The market is where I can go and go toe to toe with anybody. And I know I'm amazing at what I do. And so I don't have to, my livelihood is not based upon one human being liking me or not liking me inside an organization and completely disrupting my ability to feed my children. And that I will work a million hours a day to maintain.
0: I hear you. I hear you. There is so much liberty in being able to just have a great idea and move forward with it and not have to get (laughs) buy-in, right? Not have to like get 50 people
1: signing off on it. You just move forward and set the tone and the culture. That's right. If I'm not good at it, the consequence is that my business suffers and it dies off. And that's the risk, right? It's a great risk, but it's also an amazing reward. Yeah. It's like survival of the fittest. That's right three final espresso shots. What
0: is the best career advice you've ever gotten? And I would love for you to tailor that to our young African-American listeners that would be
1: really relevant for them. I've gotten a lot of bad advice throughout my career. And it mostly was based on race. And it was like, don't be too black. <laughs> don't be too assertive. Don't wear your hair natural. Like I've definitely gotten a lot of that. And you know what, when I listened to that kind of feedback, on how to be a shell of my black identity, I made no more than $80,000 a year. But when I shed that and became the authentic version of myself that's sophisticated and educated and professional and authentically black, that's when I became the million dollar chick I am today. And so that is the advice I would give to anyone. The best advice I've received from folks is about balance. And the fact that I'm not a person who stops and smells roses ever. Like once the rose grows, I'm like, nailed it. Next rose, right? Super intense. And it's just not sustainable to burn you out. And so having some balance and having moments where you can kind of frolic and enjoy life and appreciate what you have been able to accomplish over time is so valuable. Serelda, you and I have a
0: lot in common. Two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, if you ever make time to watch them, or books, do you think accurately depict your profession?
1: Oh, uh, I don't know. That's a very difficult one. I don't know, but I know I wrote a book about, it's called Change the Work Game and it's how to recruit and sustain a diverse workforce. And that is my best articulation of what I felt was missing in books about what it takes to be a HR professional and embed diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout. and lead coach managers towards that end too. So it just didn't exist. I was looking everywhere for it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write it. And I sell between 10 and 100 books a month every month for the past four years, which is fascinating to me. Something
0: tells me you're going to be selling more now.
1: I think they're they're selling a lot more. This might be a hundred book month, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Last
0: espresso shot. What would Java junkies, especially black Java junkies, be surprised to learn about the HR field? Oh,
1: well, things that surprised me was that the way people talk about systems and policies is if they don't own and operate them. So when I got into human resources and I would ask questions about this policy or I would ask questions about HR, kind of like as a junior HR person, folks would be like, oh man, that's just the way HR does it. And I'm like, you work in HR, right? Like, oh, that's terrible. You, you would definitely need to change it, but that's just the way. And it's like, People don't recognize how much power they have to be able to make changes, including executives. And I, you know, balk at and buck against that notion that we don't have any power to change systems. Systems were created by us, owned and operated by human beings, and we can change them. And I want every HR professional to come in with a critical eye to say, like, is it working? And if it's not working, let's advocate towards getting it changed right now, but not as soon as you get into HR, because then they won't like you and they'll kick you out. So I'll for that. <laughs> you need to bide your time a little
0: bit. That's <laughs> right. We'll rock it. Cyrilda, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T for C community. Cyrilda is the founder and CEO of Workplace Change. I uh, wish you continued success so that you can spread the gospel of equity and inclusion and diversity in workplaces all over this country.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Andrea, and thank you for putting together such a cool podcast. Thanks
0: so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live.